If you'd like to get a head start on the first verse that we're going to look at this morning, you can find Proverbs chapter 10. There are notes in the bulletin. You can track along with the message this morning. We're talking about the seven deadly sins on Sunday mornings. It's a little bit different than our normal Sunday morning routine where we pick one passage, one book, and plow through from beginning to end. In this series, we're trying to take a canonical look, a a biblical look, a textual look at what does the Bible as a whole have to say about these particular sins. This morning, we're talking about the sin of sloth. In 1887, the state of Oregon was the first state in the United States of America that recognized Labor Day as a holiday, gave people a Monday off uh, so that they could celebrate working. That seems appropriate. Let's celebrate work by not working. I like it. 29 other states followed. There were 30 states that recognized the Labor Day holiday when in 1894, the United States made Labor Day a federal holiday. Uh, It was created to celebrate the American laborer, the American worker, and as I planned out this series, knowing that it would fall at least one Sunday on Labor Day weekend, I thought this would be a great Sunday to talk about the sin of sloth. We have talked about these sins over the last several weeks. They're not a, a biblical category. They are all biblical in the sense that they show up on the pages of Scripture, but the category of these seven uh, as a group is not something you'll find in the Scriptures. We've looked back at church history. We've looked to the 4th century to a monk named Evagrius. There he is on the left, went out to the wilderness to get away from sin and corruption, and all by himself he realized that sin and corruption wasn't a problem out there. It was a problem in here, in his own heart. And so he started to talk about deadly thoughts We hit fast forward, we went to the 6th century, we talked about Pope Gregory, Calvin said he was the last good pope, he talked about capital sins, sins that were not so much things we do or don't do, but conditions of the heart that lead to all sorts of sin in our lives. This morning I want to take you to the 15th century to an artist named Hieronymus Bosch, This is one of his most famous paintings. The title of this painting is The Seven Deadly Sins and the Four Last Things. So in each of the corners, you can see the four last things. Starting on the top left and moving clockwise, the four last things are death, judgment, when Christ returns, heaven, and on the bottom left, hell. The wheel in the middle depicts the seven deadly sins, and there's a panel for each of the sins as you move around the wheel. In the middle, there's an eye. The eye is to be a picture or a reminder of God in his omniscience, that he sees our sin. It's not hidden from him, but he knows who we are as sinful people, and he's aware of our sin. In the yellow circle, up at about 1 o'clock, is the panel for sloth, and I'll just zoom in on it so you can see The panel for sloth or acedia is a man in his easy chair, and that may not look like a very easy chair to you, but in the 15th century, that's what you got when you went down to the Lazy Boy store. They sold you one of these deals. He's got his pillow behind his head. His dog is taking a nap. He's got a nice fire warming his feet, and he just wants to sleep. And you'll notice that the nun behind him is encouraging him to pray. There's an encouragement to pursue a spiritual discipline, and all he wants to do is take a nap. That's how Hieronymus thought about the deadly sin of sloth. I like how Tony Rinke 
thinks about the sin of sloth, he describes it like this. Sloth at its core is a lack of appetite for God's gifts. Sloth is a blindness and deadness to God's beauty. That's not how most of us tend to think about sloth. You're more prone and I'm more prone to think about the guy taking a nap in front of the fire. We're prone to think sloth. Oh, that's the the lazy bum, the couch potato, the guy that won't get off his backside and do anything. That's what sloth is. Maybe your mind goes to the animal kingdom and you actually think about the three-toed tree animal that moves really slowly. A few years ago, we went to the aquarium in Dallas and you walked through this aquarium and they had a tree and there was a sloth in it. And they really do move really slow. Maybe you think about Zootopia when they go to the DMV and the sloth works behind the counter and you think to yourself, never has life imitated art or art imitated life so well. This is exactly how it works when you go to the DMV. But what I want you to see this morning is that there's more to sloth than cute furry animals. There's more to sloth than cartoons. There's more to sloth than the guy kicking his feet up in front of the fire, taking a nap. At its core, it is a blindness and a deadness to God's beauty. We're going to work off of this definition of sloth this morning. Sloth, in the ancient world it was called acedia, is indifference to our responsibilities toward God, family, church, and neighbor. It's a complete indifference to the responsibilities that we have on all of these levels. And if you want to think about the virtue that corresponds with this particular vice, we've done that each week. We would talk about zeal, or maybe passion would be a good word, or maybe diligence would be a good word. That would be the virtue that corresponds with sloth. All of us have responsibility toward God. We all have a responsibility toward our family. We have a responsibility toward church. We have a responsibility toward neighbor, toward anybody that God might put into our lives. Sloth is the condition of the heart that looks at those responsibilities and yawns, rolls its eyes, says, I understand what my responsibility is in this situation. I just don't care. The seven deadly sins, as Gregory reminds us, are capital sins. It's not so much what you do or don't do. It's a condition of your heart that results in all sorts of sin. Let me be clear with you about some things that are not sloth. Because sometimes we might just lump these things in with sloth and we may end up feeling guilty about things we don't need to feel guilty about. Rest on the Sabbath is not sloth. We're not going to delve into an entire message on the Sabbath versus the Lord's Day, but I'm just talking about the Sabbath principle. Rest on the Lord's Day. Rest on the Sabbath is not sloth. Neither is leisure. Doing something just for fun. If you say, I want to not be slothful, it doesn't mean you have to work 24 hours a day. Leisure is an okay thing. So are naps. I don't know about you, but I plan on taking one today. I'm going to eat lunch after church, I'm going to go home, I'm going to tell my kids to be quiet, and I'm going to take a nap. I don't think that's sloth, nor do I think vacation, or as our friends across the pond would say, a holiday, 
is sloth. None of these things in and of themselves mean that a person is guilty of sloth. Here's some words that might be helpful. Laziness that leads to procrastination, that leads to indifference, that results ultimately in despair. That's sort of a train that the person who is guilty of sloth might go down, might move down. It's a heart condition that makes ultimate things seem like they're not worth the effort. Things that are truly important in God's mind seem like they're just not all that important in our lives. Some have described it, I like this thought, it is a weariness that invades your soul so that you just don't have energy for the things that God would have you to be energetic about. It results in despair. You look at church and you say, it's pointless. You think about the responsibilities you have towards your family and you say, what's the use? What's the point? What difference is it making? You think about your obligations at church or towards neighbor or any of the responsibilities that God has put before you and you say, it's just meaningless, it's pointless, it's vanity. Despair, when you get to that point, thinking of sloth, despair usually results in sins of omission. You know what a sin of omission is? A sin of commission is when God says, don't do this or that and you do this or that. You commit sin. A sin of omission is when God says, this is what I would have you do, and you don't do it. You omit the obedience. It's a sin of omission. That's the sin of the person who is slothful. They just don't care about the things that God has called them to do. They roll their eyes at matters of ultimate importance. I think this is a common problem in the United States. I know in the United States we're are hard workers. We at least have that reputation in the world. People around the world think we're hard workers because we get less vacation than other developed nations and we use less vacation than other people in developed nations. We just are working people, but I still think sloth is a problem. Let me give you a few reasons why. Number one, I think this is a common problem because God's people have always struggled with this problem. And my point is it's not just an American problem. It's a human problem. It's ultimately a sin problem. You can look at the Ten Commandments, Exodus and Deuteronomy. The longest commandment relates to the Sabbath. And the command that relates to the Sabbath is not just you need to take one day off out of seven. It's also that you need to be working hard the other six. Israel struggled with this from the get-go. They struggled with this. You remember when God provided manna and he said, look, I'm going to give it to you on six days and on the seventh, you're not going to need to go out and they went out on the seventh. They violated this command before they even received it in the form of the Ten Commandments. They consistently struggled with this commandment. It was one of the stated reasons that God sent his people into exile is that they had failed to keep the Sabbath. They'd failed to work hard during the week, and they failed to take one day off for rest and worship. He sent them into exile so that the land could enjoy its Sabbaths. And even when he brought them back, they couldn't get it together. Uh, Look up Nehemiah on your own this afternoon. Nehemiah helped resettle the people in the land after the exile, after they'd been so faithless on this issue of the Sabbath. 
Nehemiah gets them all set up. They sign a document, and one of the first things on that document that they sign their name to is, we will keep the Sabbath. Nehemiah goes away for a short period of time on business. He comes back. They're not keeping the Sabbath. He literally gets in shouting matches and fist fights because the people refuse to keep this commandment. It's not just an American problem. It's a human problem. It's a sin problem. Why is it common? Secondly, our zeal is often misdirected toward lesser concerns. The problem is not that we don't have zeal or passion or diligence. The problem is we just redirect that zeal towards things that aren't quite as important as what God would have us to direct them towards. We are zealous people. We are zealous about our careers. We go to school. We work hard so we can get a good job. We we put in the hours. We put in the work. We work for that promotion. Americans are zealous about their careers. We're zealous about our hobbies. We work so that we can play, and we like to play, and we spend money on play, and we give thought towards play, and we plan it out in advance. We're zealous about it. We're zealous about sports. It doesn't really matter what level of competition you're talking about, professional or collegiate, high school, third grade soccer. We will yell and we will scream and we'll get excited and we'll stand up and we'll raise our hands and we'll cheer, cheering. We're zealous. Maybe the only thing we're more zealous about than sports is politics. We all have an opinion about it. We have a favorite candidate, a, f- a favorite platform, a favorite party, a, a favorite political philosophy, and we're very zealous about that. The problem in America is not that we don't have zeal, It's just that we misdirect that zeal and we don't have much of ourselves left over for the things that God would have us to be zealous about. One more reason this is a common problem, I would blame media. And by media, I'm not talking about news media. I'm not talking about Fox or CNN or whatever flavor you like or don't like. I'm talking about the media that we consume. By definition, by its very nature, media makes us passive. It makes us almost zombie-like. We just sit back and receive it. And that's true for television. That's true for movies. That's true for the Internet. That's true for streaming services. That's true for social media above all else. We just sort of live vicariously and we passively receive whatever is set in front of us, we end up being obsessed over the most trivial of things and we don't have much zeal left over for the things that are truly important or even ultimately important. It's like gasoline just poured onto the sin of sloth. And I want you to understand this is a deadly sin. It has serious, serious consequences. Let me just lay out a few of these consequences and we'll dig into a few of these texts. Why is sloth so deadly? Number one, sloth can have economic consequences. Economic consequences. This is the major emphasis of the book of Proverbs. If you want to do a study of sloth in Proverbs, you just look up or search for or Google the word sluggard. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the sluggard. A lot of what it says can be summed up in Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent, there's our word, our virtue, diligence, 
The hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, we know this isn't a, an ironclad rule. We all know people who have received an inheritance, and they're wealthy, and they didn't work for any of it. We hear the news stories about somebody who wins the $500 million Powerball. They're wealthy. They didn't work for it. But you know that those are the exceptions that prove the rule that Proverbs is setting before us. Typically, all things being equal, normal circumstances, you work hard, you prosper, you're lazy, you don't. It's the general rule about how life works on this planet. It's true for individuals, and I would say, without going too far down this rabbit trail, it's also true for societies. And when a society or culture decides, we want all the fruits of hard work without any of the hard work itself, and we feel entitled to these things, that society is in big, big trouble. There are economic consequences, and that very well, very well may be something that we begin to face more and more in our society. So why is this a deadly sin? Number one, economic consequences. Number two, sloth can have generational consequences. Generational consequences. I'll let you look up Ephesians 5 and 6. I've encouraged you in this series to go back and look at these references, to think about them, to study them, to try to apply them to your life. Ephesians 5 and 6 is a very helpful summary of what God wants, what he expects from husbands, from wives, from parents, from children. It's not overly complicated. It's just sort of laid out there for you to read. For most families that are struggling, the problem is not, well, I've never read Ephesians 5 and 6. The problem is not, well, I don't know how to read. Well, nobody's told me about that. For most families who are struggling, husbands, wives, parents, children, the problem really boils down to sloth, indifference, apathy, a lack of appetite for who God is calling us to be and what he's calling us to do. I can tell you story after story after story where I sit down with a family, a husband, a wife, parents, children, and we talk about a principle from Ephesians 5 and 6, and I set it before them and I say, look, if you want the trajectory of your family to change, this is something that you've got to start doing, living, practicing, praying about, being serious about, and all you really get in response is a yawn. Or an eye roll. This has generational consequences. Not just for you and your pocketbook, but for your family, for your kids, and for your grandkids. The sin of sloth, when you think about your responsibilities in your family, will have consequences for generations. I would add, on a positive note, that when you do these things with zeal and passion and diligence there are also generational consequences, good consequences that you can expect and hope for. But as you think about sloth, there are generational consequences. Thirdly, why is this a deadly sin? There are spiritual consequences. Spiritual consequences. The book of Hebrews is an interesting case study 
There's a section in the book of Hebrews. We talked about Hebrews not too long ago. We took a chapter at a time, and because we took a chapter at a time, we missed this section as a unit, or at least seeing it as a unit. Hebrews 5.11 is the beginning of the unit. Hebrews 6.12 is the end of the unit. Both verses contain a reference to laziness or sloth. 5.11, about this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Literally what it says in the Greek is you have lazy ears. Your ears are lazy. So it's hard for us to talk about this stuff with you. Sloth is a problem. Hebrews 6.12 says we don't want you to be sluggish. Same word. Dull of hearing. Sluggish. Same word. We don't want you to be that way. We want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And in between those two bookends, there's a warning against the danger of falling away. It's a warning against spiritual apathy. It's the warning they needed to hear in Laodicea, a church that is described in the book of Revelation as lukewarm. You might say sluggish. You might say indifferent. You might say unmotivated spiritually. Jesus said he wanted to spit them out of his mouth. And the lesson from Revelation and the lesson from Hebrews is this. Sloth will sabotage your sanctification. It'll kill it. And sloth will kill a congregation. It'll kill a church. There are spiritual consequences to this sin. One more reason it's a deadly sin, there are eternal consequences. Sloth has eternal consequences. Matthew 25, you remember the parable of the talents. One was given this amount, one was given this amount, one was given just one talent. When the master returned, the servant who had been given one talent had done nothing with it and tried to return it in kind. And the master looked at the servant and said, you are wicked and lazy. You're wicked and slothful. You're wicked and sluggish, and he sent him to eternal punishment. Maybe you remember Luke 18. Jesus is approached by a rich man, a rich young man. And the rich young man says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing that he loved his money more than anything else, said, liquidate, sell everything, and then you can come follow me. This is what we read in Luke 18, 23, When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You know, in church history, a lot of theologians have talked about sloth as sadness. That's the actual word they've used to describe this sin, a sadness of the soul. This is sloth in the rich young ruler. He is standing in front of God incarnate, and Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is telling him how to find eternal life. And he doesn't have the spiritual energy to care. All he can do is walk away sad, slothful. This is a deadly sin. It's a sin that you and I have to be committed to fighting in our lives. And I just want to lay out for you how we fight this sin of sloth. Number one, we have to agree that it's a sin. We have to view sloth as sin. It's more than physical laziness. It's more than too many naps. It's more than a character flaw. It's actually sin. 
And when we misunderstand it, we get off track about what it is and isn't. We don't feel bad about areas of our life where we are truly slothful, and we feel overly bad about areas where we don't need to feel guilt. One author says it like this, of the seven capital sins, sloth may be the least understood. If you just boil it down to you're lazy and that's it, you misunderstand what's really at stake with this sin. Most basically, at its core, this sin is a blindness and a deadness to God's beauty. Somebody who just doesn't care about the glory of God and the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. So number one, recognize it as sin. Number two, we need to rest, and we rest in the finished work of Jesus. It may seem counterintuitive to say that the answer to sloth is rest, but on a spiritual level, that's exactly the answer to sloth. We rest in the finished work of Jesus, and we're thankful that Jesus was not guilty of sloth. He cared. He always did what he was supposed to do. He was not guilty of sins of commission or sins of omission. He endured when he suffered. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He died on the cross for our sin, including our sloth. And our hope is that we rest in his finished work. This is how John describes it. He says that when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. It's finished. I have accomplished what I came to accomplish. I didn't quit halfway. I didn't quit before the finish line. I saw it all the way through to the end. My work is finished. And when it was finished, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Our hope for eternal life is not rooted in our ability to work hard. Our hope for eternal life is rooted in the finished work of Jesus. So we rest in his work. Thirdly, we work hard and we work for Jesus. We work hard and we work for Jesus. The fourth command, the Sabbath command, includes taking a day off out of seven to rest, to worship. It also includes working hard. Paul in the book of Colossians, explains how we work hard. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do at home, whatever you do at work, whatever you do at church, whatever happens in your life, you do it with this mindset that I'm doing this, not for the kids in the nursery, not for my boss, not for somebody in my family, I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ. You work heartily, not for men, but for the Lord. Number four, how do we fight this sin? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2 is pretty direct. It's a helpful passage. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's an either-or contained in this passage. If you are working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you will not be guilty of sloth. It's not possible. But if you give yourself to the sin of sloth, it is not possible for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And notice, Paul doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling because you better be really good. He says you work it out. And what we're working out is what God has already worked in 
us. He is working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our responsibility is working that out. And it's an antidote to sloth. One last thought. How do we fight this sin? We embrace the power of routine. We embrace the power of routine. Sloth wants a shortcut in everything. Sloth doesn't want a a slow cooker. It wants a microwave. Sloth wants a quick and easy solution to all of life's problems. You know and I know that's just not how God normally works in our lives. And there may be moments of miracle and breakthrough where something remarkable happens and God's behind that. But most of the time, what God calls his people to do is to trust him day after day after day, to fight sin day after day after day, and to believe in Jesus day after day after day. Sloth is not interested in that. Sloth does not see the point in 100 morning devotions that are not life-changing. Sloth says you're wasting your time. Sloth wants one quick, single paragraph, one sentence, one thought, one idea that will just revolutionize life. God says, I just want you to dig in the word day after day after day after day. Sloth says, you're wasting your time with this prayer stuff. No one's listening. Nothing's changing. It's not working. Shouldn't you just go to a conference or read a book that would just be a magic bullet and make everything better? The Lord says, no, I just want you to Fellowship with me, commune with me day in and day out, over and over and over again, reading the word, talking to the Lord in prayer. Sloth says, what's the point in going to church? It's the same stuff, it's the same songs, it's the same people, nothing changes. Shouldn't you just sort of download a a podcast or watch a webinar that would fix everything and change everything? That's just not how God usually operates. He calls his people to gather together. Do not forsake meeting together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Sing the same things over and over and over again. Talk about the same gospel truths over and over and over again. Sloth doesn't want that. Sloth wants the magic spiritual bullet. I'll be honest with you. This sermon will not fix you or me when it comes to the sin of sloth. This series, we're spending seven Sundays talking about the seven deadly sins. On the eighth Sunday, we're going to show up to church and we're going to still be struggling with these sins. It's not a magic bullet approach to the Christian faith. It's routine. And routine is powerful over time. You read the Word and you just keep reading it. And you talk to the Lord and you just keep talking. And you come to church and you just keep showing up. And you understand that as long as the Lord leaves us on this earth, our job is to fight sin, is to fight anything that would get in between us and him, and it's to trust in the finished, perfect work of his son. Let's pray.